just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. Welcome back to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope all is going well with you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time dicking around with small talk. A lot has happened in this Russia-Ukraine crisis. Lots happened overnight. And I'll be honest and upfront with you, I'm recording this at 12.15 a.m. Central Standard Time. So a lot has happened up to this point. But by the time you hear this podcast, a lot more may happen. So I think what I'll do is I'll do another podcast later in the day today, which is Thursday, to try to bring everybody up to speed. Anyhow, Vladimir Putin announced yesterday, yesterday night, that uh, Russia would begin military operations in eastern Ukraine. Now, that may be true. We knew they had troops there in those uh, situations that were sympathetic or those areas that were sympathetic to Russia. But he didn't tell us everything. He didn't tell anybody everything. Because the invasion started last night. It started with missile strikes and bombings in various parts of Ukraine, generally on the outskirts of some of the major towns like Kiev or Kyrkiv. And what apparently the Russians are doing is they're taking out airports, military installations, which makes sense. Before you come charging in with vehicles and on foot, you want to somehow try to dismantle the uh, armed forces to lessen the conflict once you got in there. And that apparently is what they're doing. Now, what Vladimir Putin is doing, he's telling the people of Russia. Now, keep in mind, when he did this, they were all sleeping. And then he did an announcement early in the morning when people probably weren't awake yet. Now, uh, at this point, at 12:16 a.m. Central Standard Time people are now getting up and getting ready to see what is going on. And to be perfectly honest with you, Russia is not going to take this well. They had no interest in invading Ukraine. They had no interest in the ramifications of doing such a thing and we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, now clearly when this all started, when Russia amassed all these troops around the Ukrainian border, I said, I can't see Russia invading the Ukraine. I don't see it happening because it doesn't make any sense. As much as they want to overtake Ukraine, the amount of difficulties and damage that would happen to Russia's economy is just not worth the effort. I've said before, with the sanctions and such, that the USA and other European can, countries can do to Russia with those sanctions, they could essentially cripple, if not destroy, the economy. And that would put Russia in a bad situation. They don't have a strong economy in the first place. They don't have a very big economy. I've said it before, say it again. Their economy is about half the size of our state of California in this big old country. Yeah, they got nuke weapons. But their economy sucks, and it's not going to take much to throw that off track and cause all kinds of problems in Russia. Now, prior to the sanctions, I'm hearing now that the uh, equivalent of the stock market in Russia has been suspended because that was dropping like a fucking rock. Um, The Russian dollar, ruble, something like that, Apparently, that's in free fall. So all these Russian people that had X amount of dollars in banks or whatever, it's decidedly less valuable as the ruble falls, free falls from its value. So it's already having a distinct impact on the Russian citizenry. And they aren't going to be too happy about this. I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, there's a lot of people in Ukraine that were from Russia. A lot of Ukrainians have family in Russia. There's really been no conflict between the two countries, unless 
unless you talk to Vladimir Putin. Now, Vladimir Putin has to come up with an excuse to invade Ukraine, and he has come up with a doozy. (laughs) What he's basically said was that there is uh, genocide against ethnic Russians and Russian-speaking people in Ukraine. There is a genocide being committed by the government of the Ukraine, which is not happening. That's not happening at all. His excuse is to come in and protect those Russian ethnics or the Russian-speaking people from this horrible, horrible regime, which is the government. He said they'll first come in and try to demilitarize, and that makes sense because, of course, as I said, there are missile strikes and bombings at airports, military installations, and those sorts of things. And then the next one is kind of interesting. See if I can say this right. He he wants to demilitarize and the, then denazificate. <laughs> Let me get this. He wants to denazification of the government. He's suggesting that the government is Nazis, which is absolutely fucking ridiculous. I mean, the president is from Russia. He's half Jewish. He was installed and elected by most of the Ukraine. So to suggest that he's a Nazi and creating genocide against Russia is absolutely ridiculous. It's not happening. But of course, Vladimir Putin has to have a reason for going into Ukraine. So he's not above lying about it. Unfortunately, what he does then is uh, he reports that in Russia. And since he controls all the media, that's all these people hear. It's much like the situation with the Trumplefucks listening to Fox News. They only get their information from that spot, and they believe it because that's the only location they get their news, even though it's all fucking lies. Lemon water, not booze. <laughs> so anyway, this is what... Vladimir Putin is doing. He's trying to fool the Russians. He's going into the Ukraine because he really feels that Ukraine has always been and always will be part of Russia. It's really bothered him that Ukraine has been separate. And it got even worse when they just started to uh, go more Western and uh, a democratic uh, government. He did not fucking like that. And so he wants to take it back. Let's be honest. Uh, Vladimir Putin has delusions of grandeur. He wants to be the one that reconstitutes the Soviet Union when they had all these countries tied to Russia and they were a union, the Soviet Union, the USSR. I mean, he was very young when the USSR fell, but he sees himself as the hero and he wants to bring this all back together. And he wants to start with Ukraine. Now, the advantage he has with Ukraine, it's a valuable resource for, for Russia. It would, uh, when, when it was part of Russia, it created about 25% of all its food. So it's a valuable country. It's a big country. There's 42 million people in this country, 3 million people in Kiev. It's not a tiny little country. They do have a military, and it's a strong military. Unfortunately, Russians can overwhelm them. We're hearing now that many civilians are ready to fight, too. Somebody even said that there was many as 50% of the civilians had weapons and were willing to fight. Well, still, they will be no match for the Russians. The Russians will overwhelm them. But the thing about it is, when you have that many people willing to fight back, this could take a while. And when it takes a while, you'll have a lot of Russians dying. And when you start sending body bags back to Russia, families are going to get upset. They're not going to see the reason for this fighting. Now, you have to understand, Russia has been in this situation before. They were in a war with Afghanistan. They were going to take that bitch over. But they were in it for like 10 or 12 years. They ended up having to leave with a tail between their legs. And that was the start of the destruction of the Soviet Union. It cost a lot of money. Um, It cost them a lot of people. And they look pretty stupid leaving Afghanistan. 
And then, of course, America decides to go in there and sit there for 20 years and get nothing accomplished. Nobody's ever won a war in Afghanistan, especially Russia and America. So now a lot of people are going to be concerned. Is that what's going to happen in Ukraine? Sure, they can beat Ukraine. Sure, they can do all of these things. But uh, how long is it going to take and how many lives is it going to cost? This is all things that Vladimir Putin has to consider, but it doesn't seem like he's doing that. This is about all ego for him and his legacy and that sort of thing. He's not caring about sanctions. He's not caring about dead people in Ukraine, whether they be Russian or Ukrainians. He doesn't care about that. As I said earlier, this guy's a fucking mad dog. He needs to be put down more than anything. And who knows? Maybe that's how this goes. I mean, we're dealing with Russia. Russia's kind of an evil empire. They're known for killing people that they don't like. As much as Vladimir Putin believes he's uh, the king of Russia, when people start suffering in his country, when his own buddies, the oligarchs, are now getting sanctioned and losing billions of dollars, they're not going to be too happy about that. You wonder how long Vladimir Putin can last if he's damaging his country immeasurably, if he's hurting all his rich buddies. It's hard to imagine what they might do. It's not the first time. Remember Mussolini? Yeah, Mussolini was pretty tough, pretty powerful. What he ended up hanging naked from a street pole, uh, murdered because... People got tired of the shit. So Vladimir Putin might be putting himself in a bad position by doing what he's doing. Now, um, Biden, Joe Biden, did come out and make an announcement. He said, yes, there is an invasion. And in the morning, probably already done that now, by the time you hear this, he's going to talk to the G7, and then they're going to come back and talk about the sanctions, the serious sanctions that are going to come down on Vladimir Putin and Russia. And with uh, fellow NATO neighbors or NATO members, they're going to uh, be involved in conversations too. Now for those of you that don't understand what NATO is, and I didn't always understand what NATO is, it's basically a big group. A bunch of countries get together. They agree to protect one another. If somebody attacks a NATO nation, then all NATO nations enter in the fight and protect that one country. The thing is, Ukraine isn't in NATO. So what that means is, if there's an attack on Ukraine, America or any other NATO nations aren't going to go in there and fight with them. It's just not going to happen. But what they are going to do they are going to bring troops right to the border of Ukraine in NATO countries. That's what you need to understand. There are NATO countries that encircle Ukraine. And what they're concerned about is Vladimir Putin coming into Ukraine, pushing on through and going into one of these NATO countries. I doubt he's going to do that because that would bring down holy hell on him. There's a lot of NATO nations, including the United States, and they would be required to help any country that's attempting to be overrun by Russia. Now, that said, that doesn't mean Vladimir Putin won't try that. If he gets momentum, he may very well try that. And, uh, you know, he's a little fucking nuts. And he said something when he gave his announcement, something that's a little troubling, he gave a warning to the Western countries, including America. And he basically said, if you guys do anything to give me trouble in Ukraine, like fight against me, just remember I have nuclear weapons. <laughs> well, we all know he's got nuclear weapons, but he's making a threat there. And that particular thing troubles me more than anything. He's basically saying, look, I'm a powerful guy. You fuck with me, and I'm going to send the nukes out. Well, that's not exactly what he's going to do. But what he needs to understand is with the U.S. and some of the European people, they're pretty fucking powerful, too. 
You've got a weak economy, you've got a big army, and you've got nuclear weapons. But your base, your base, your people aren't very strong because most of them don't support Vladimir Putin. And when the economy takes a shit, they are going to be pissed. Other people in government are going to be pissed. In fact, I heard that his his uh, cabinet has expressed some concern about what he's doing, weren't necessarily for it. So you've got one president in a country of Russia kind of going rogue. And if this goes badly, he's going to have some problems. Yes, he's very powerful, but nobody's so powerful they can't be taken out if they're destroying the country. Now, as I've said, their equivalent of the stock market has been suspended because it's dropping like a rock. Their money is in free fall. So whatever they had yesterday is far less valuable today, and that's going to keep going. Now, with the sanctions coming up, there were some pretty hard sanctions laid down by Germany and America just a couple of days ago. Of course, Germany canceled that pipeline coming from Russia to Germany. And that's kind of an important deal because it does hurt Russia considerably, but it's going to impact Germany and the rest of Europe because they do get... Um, oil from Russia. So that means that things in terms of oil are going to be more expensive in Europe and in, in Germany. So there is a price to pay for these European countries to do what they did, but they saw it as more important in combating a Russia than worrying about the cost of fuel. So now what Joe Biden is going to do, he's going to consult with the G7 and some of the other NATO countries and there is going to be some severe sanctions laid down at some point today. It may have already happened, and we'll talk about that later. But some of the things that they can do is uh, shut down all the banks in Russia, essentially freezing any action with money in Russia. Right now it's dealing with businesses and the military, so that's a problem for them. There's one other bigger bank that can shut down the country because all the citizens bank there. You stop the movement of money. You stop any kind of trade with any other countries because they've talked about taking them off the SWIFT program. Now, the, the SWIFT program is essentially the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications. If you've ever wired money, and I used to do that in my business, that's what the SWIFT group is about. It's the ability to communicate with other banks, bank-to-bank, interbank, and uh, send and receive money. Now, if you can't do that, you can't do any trade from country to country, which is going to be a problem for Russia. And they can take them off the SWIFT program or the SWIFT Well, program, whatever you want to call it. They won't be able to wire money to other countries, so they can't do business. Now, that's not to say there aren't some other workarounds. They could probably do a few things, but it's going to make life incredibly miserable for them. And uh, they don't want that happening. They're going to tighten up on some of these oligarchs, too, these elite, as they say, and their families. You know, these oligarchs probably put them in their kids' names or the wife's names and such just to protect themselves. Well, America has seen fit to uh, get around that. They're sanctioning oligarchs, their kids, their families, everything. And they've only done several of them so far. But in this next round, you're going to see a lot of big names and a lot of people with a lot of money getting sanctioned. And it's as I was saying before. When all these buddies of Vladimir Putin start losing billions of dollars, there's going to be some pissed-off cowboys there. Now, the thing is, you can, you can guarantee that Vladimir Putin is protecting himself. I've heard he's, he's squirreled away like $600 billion. He's going to be cool unless some of that money is tied up with the oligarchs, and then that's a whole entirely different situation. 
But there's going to be a lot of people struggling and suffering. The citizens of Russia, his buddy oligarchs around him are going to be struggling. There's going to be companies struggling. Their money is free-falling. So we've got a situation with Russia. They're in tough shape, the uh, foundation of Russia. Sure, they're strong. Sure, they got an army. Sure, they got nuclear weapons. But if you can't hold up the fucking tent, none of it matters. So he's laying it all on the line here with Ukraine. He's putting himself in trouble. These sanctions that were laid down the other day were pretty strong, stronger than anything Donald Trump did when he applied sanctions back several or a few years ago. These are far more serious and far more damaging to the country of Russia, but they weren't everything. Now, today, when Biden steps up, you're going to see the hammer fall. There's going to be a lot of sanctions, and it's going to cause immense problems. They're going to try to take them off the SWIFT system so they can't do trade with other countries. And if you're not trading and you're not sending and receiving money, you're fucking out of business. Oh, you'll find some workarounds, but uh, it won't be like it was. And all of that will cause problems in Russia. Now, keep in mind, though, when you do this, it's going to affect the people they trade with, people in Europe. Not so much the U.S., but certainly people in Europe. There's going to be a price to pay for them, too, because Russia will deal with people in Europe. They buy and sell things, and they trade money, and people make money in the process. If they take them off the SWIFT system, they won't be able to do that. So that will hurt Russia, certainly. But it's going to have some impact on Europe. So it's important to remember what Europe is doing, what Germany did by canceling that pipeline, is pretty impressive because not only does it hurt Russia, but it has an impact on their countries too. So they are sacrificing and they should be acknowledged for that thing. It's going to be interesting how this, how long this whole thing goes. As I say right now, as I'm sitting here at roughly 1230 uh, Central Standard Time on Thursday morning, Russia is mounting an invasion into Ukraine. All we see right now is missiles being dropped, bombs being dropped in and around military installations, airports, and the like. What's likely to happen is you're going to see a ground invasion with military vehicles and soldiers will be coming maybe on the east side. And you may see them coming from Belarus, which just above Ukraine and directly north of Kiev. So you're likely to see some uh, ground troops coming that way. At this point, I haven't seen that, haven't heard that. Some people have heard rumblings of, of ground attacks uh, at some point. And you've got the ships in the sea there too. These ships could come onto the uh, beaches and drop off vehicles and troops that way as well. And I think we have to assume that that's what's going to happen. Those ships wouldn't be out there if that wasn't the intention. They've got 190,000 troops pretty much encircling the Ukraine. So they can come at all sides. It's going to be overwhelming for Ukraine. They can't beat these people, but they can put up a fight and make it long enough to make it very detrimental to the Russian army and to the country of Russia. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. So there was some interesting video coming from the UN late last night. The Ukrainian ambassador, while in a UN session, challenged the Russian ambassador. See, this was a meeting of the uh, um, International Security Council within the UN. You want to hear something fucking funny? <laughs> the president the current president, and they just rotate presidents here, of the International Security Company, was the Russian ambassador. Now, the whole point of creating this international security company and the UN itself was to protect all countries 
from just this situation, a bigger country going in, bullying their way through, and taking over another country. The whole point of UN and the uh, International Security Council was to protect against that thing. And on top of it, to add insult to injury, the Russian ambassador was the president, at least until March 1st. Now, it's just kind of a ceremonial thing. It doesn't mean he has any more power. But it was interesting. The Ukraine ambassador was obviously very upset about what was going on. He said that he thought Russia should be removed from the International Security Council, given that it's contradictory to what the whole purpose of that council is. Now, at that point, Russia was uh, the Russian ambassador was trying to say, well, nothing's happening. It's just a military action in the east. And, and the Ukraine ambassador held up his phone. And he says, do you want to see the video where your leader, where your leader said he was going to attack the Ukraine? And, of course, the Russian guy was just, I don't want to fucking hear it. It's too late. He said, I think you should get on the phone with Putin right now and find out what the fucking deal is. He didn't say it like that, of course. That's just me talking. And he said, and if you can't do that, you're worthless to this community. And, again, I'm paraphrasing. I'm trying to take what they said and understand what they meant. If you can't do that, if you can't get Putin on the phone, then you're worthless in this group. And, of course, the Russian ambassador was pissed about it, and he said, well, it's too late, he's sleeping, and, uh, you know, I can't call him. <laughs> well, he was awake enough to declare war just an hour before. But this is how Russians handle things. They try to lie, and uh, they try to deceive and distract and divert Wow, that sounds like somebody, doesn't it? Sounds like our very own Donald Trump. Did he learn it from Putin or did Putin learn it from him? Or is this just how all narcissists act? Narcissistic, sociopathic, pathological liars. Oh, we've got to add in murderer and killer and vile dictator when we throw it at uh, Vladimir Putin. Fortunately, Donald Trump is out of office right now and... Uh, he can't be a dictator unless he's in power. The Russian ambassador, as I said, is serving as the president of the International Security Committee, which is absolutely fucking ridiculous. Now, I mentioned Belarus. It's just north of Ukraine, and it comes straight down toward Kiev. Now, Belarus is not connected to Russia as far as being part of Russia, but they are sympathetic and loyal to Russia. And it's kind of interesting. If we're going to do sanctions against Russia, should we not also sanction Belarus because they're allowing Russians to stage in their country to ultimately attack Ukraine? I don't know. I kind of think so. It seems to make sense. And they're going to have a lot more problems with, uh, with sanctions than even Russia does. Now, of course, President Zelensky of the Ukraine came out and he spoke on social media. It almost kind of looked like he was just doing a selfie. It was kind of in the, in the moment. It was him in his office and somebody's holding the uh, phone or whatever, and that's what he's going to post. And what he said was that he's going to institute martial law in the country, which is all he can really do because things are going to go nuts or are going nuts there. Invasion has begun. Uh, has he said the invasion has begun, and he said military installations, airports, and other infrastructure is being hit by Russian missiles. We talked about that earlier, and again, it goes back to the whole strategy of what Russia or any other country would do if they were going to try to take over a country. They would come in with airstrikes. Russia pretty much owns the air over Ukraine. There is no more commercial flights coming in and out of Ukraine, obviously. In fact, Russia closed some of the airports that were close to the Ukraine border because they would just get caught up in whatever's going on. So Russia owns the airspace. And to be perfectly honest, 
Um, Ukraine doesn't have much of an air force. They have like 150 planes, certainly no match for Russia. So Russia comes in, blows up the airports, blows up the military installations, the communication centers, and tries to um, weaken all of the military in Ukraine. And once they do that, then they'll come in by land. They'll come in with their vehicles, their tanks, their men and women coming across the border. Now, the thing is, Vladimir Putin says, oh, no, we're not trying to occupy the country. But yet he suggests that the government is a bunch of Nazis. And the reason he's going in there is to protect ethnic Russians and Russian-speaking citizens who are being uh, killed and tortured by this Nazi government. Now, none of that's true. If you talk to the people in uh, Ukraine, they say, none of that's happening. We don't want Russia's help in this situation. We don't need help. But Vladimir Putin needs an excuse, and he's not above lying. And that's exactly what he's doing. It's funny. He's fooling the people in his own country. At least I think he is, because he controls the media. But the rest of the world knows exactly what is going on, what's fucking happening. But he's so emboldened, so in-your-face blatant, that he will lie to everybody and then just double down and say that's not happening. Just like Donald Trump. Maybe that's why Joe, uh, That's why uh, Donald Trump and uh, Vladimir Putin are such great buddies, because they're both similar psychopaths sociopaths, narcissists, pathological liars. They have a lot in common. And now Donald Trump, of course, has said that he thinks Vladimir Putin is a genius. And he thinks that him invading Ukraine is a wonderful idea. And now some of the Republicans are agreeing with him. Some of the right-leaning right, uh, media is agreeing with him. But when war starts in this country, it is going to be bloody. There are going to be a lot of deaths, a lot of blood, and it will be Ukrainian and Russian. I wonder how the Republicans and Donald Trump are going to feel when they were supportive of what may end up being a massacre. They're going to have a little trouble wiping that off of them because they've supported this. They've said that Vladimir Putin is a genius. Vladimir Putin is just about 70 years old. That's not crazy old. But uh, some people are questioning his uh, mental capacity. And that would be right in line with the kind of things we're seeing now because none of it makes sense. He's putting at risk his entire country. Now, you have to remember what happened when they went into Afghanistan. Now, they should have beat Afghanistan with no problem. But they fought, and they fought for 10 or 12 years. They poured money into it, and then they had to leave with their tail between their legs because they couldn't win. They couldn't overtake the Afghanistan army, which seems crazy, but not half as stupid as Americans going in and trying to do the same thing. We weren't trying to occupy Afghanistan. We were just trying to keep the bad guys out, and we couldn't even do that. Well, that didn't fare very well for Russia and the citizens of Russia. They didn't have a very good taste in their mouth after that happened. If somehow this conflict goes for any extended period of time and it costs a lot of money, the sanctions are draining them, their money is losing value every fucking day, the stock market is dropping like a rock, these people are not going to be fucking happy about it. Now, as I said, Vladimir Putin said he's not going to try to occupy Ukraine, but he also said that he wasn't going to invade Ukraine. Vladimir Putin, like Donald Trump and like a lot of these fucks, are pathological liars. Whatever he says, you take with a grain of salt because it's not likely that it's true. So you can't really listen to Vladimir Putin and say for him to say what he's doing because everything coming out of his mouth today is a fucking lie. 
He's just trying to feed his ego, and he's willing to sacrifice his country, the people in his country, his best buddies with billions of dollars. He's willing to sacrifice them for his own ego. You might see how this is going to get him in trouble. This may be the end of Vladimir Putin. He may be out of office quicker than you can possibly imagine. And uh, that will be interesting. It uh, doesn't mean anything special because whoever takes his place could end up fucking being worse. So I'm not excited about that prospect. But it's hard to find somebody worse than Vladimir Putin at this point. This fuck is a problem. And it's something we as a world have to address. you got to think that there's some SEAL Team 6 or somebody out there that can take this guy out of the equation. I mean, it's a distasteful thought something like that. But we know it happens all the time. We know Russia does it all the time. They're killing people all over the world. Um, It wouldn't be surprising or even unusual in the Russian government. But as I've said with Donald Trump, we need to take him out of the equation. And I'm not saying any kind of attack or violence or anything like that. We just got to shut him up because he's causing all kinds of problems within this country. Vladimir Putin's a different story. He seems to be kind of a wild man, a crazy man, a mad dog. He may be working against his very own country, and that has to be stopped. We'll see if anybody in Russian government or the oligarchs or the citizens have any taste for getting rid of him. Now, Joe Biden also spoke to President Zelensky late last night. After this all started, um, he gave him his hopes and prayers for everybody in Ukraine, and he basically briefed him on on what he and NATO will be doing in terms of sanctions and other actions uh, come later today. Now, what, what the Ukraine is suggesting, and I have to agree with them, a fierce isolation of Russia. Take them off the SWIFT system, take them down with sanctions, and and that's really what's necessary to do here. I said this before, and now people are saying it. They should have put these sanctions in place before the attack. Maybe they could have stopped the attack before it happened, but now it's too fucking late. But now they got to really clamp down and pretty much isolate Russia to themselves, Take everything off the fucking table in terms of sanctions. Don't let them interact with NATO countries. Don't let them do deals or spend money or make money off of anybody. Take them off the SWIFT system. Do everything you can to isolate them. But now's the time to come down on them fucking hard. Make them feel the pain. And unfortunately, you have to make the citizens of Russia feel the pain too. But this has to be done. This guy is a bully. If we can't fight them, and we can't fight them because this is not a NATO country, and there's no way we're going to start a third world war over this. So we only can do what we can do, and we need to do it in the most harsh way possible. Isolate this country from everybody. Stop them at every turn. Make their fucking life miserable. Crash their economy. Make make Vladimir Putin an enemy in his own country. That's about all we can do at this point. So we'll see what happens. Things are going to change quickly here. Everything is going to be pretty fluid, and that's why I said I'll probably do another podcast later this morning so that we can uh, catch up on what is going on. Got a little time left, and I I want to talk about some other things that are going on that are kind of upsetting that don't have to do with Ukraine and Russia. Uh, We got some disturbing news from the Manhattan District of New York. You'll remember the District Attorney Cyrus Vance of the Manhattan District initiated an investigation into Donald Trump's businesses. Their accusations of bank fraud, insurance fraud, and tax fraud. Vance brought in two hired guns, two lawyers, prosecutors, Carrie Doon, and Mark Pomerantz. You'll remember Mark Pomerantz has special abilities when it comes to RICO violations. These guys were some powerful guys. 
and he brought him in to pursue this investigation and also ultimately take it to court. Well, now Cyrus Vance retired on December 31st of 2021. And then we bring in his replacement, Alvin Bragg. He is a gentleman that apparently, civilly anyways, has sued the uh, Trump organization several times and has won every time. So people presume that with him coming in that the investigation will be strong and he will still go after Donald Trump. Now keep in mind the criminal investigation is running in parallel with the uh, New York Attorney General Letitia James civil investigation. We're hearing about all the things that Letitia James is doing. She's got a lot of evidence. She's going to bring the Trump family in for depositions, which is going to be very interesting. But then all of a sudden, the lawyers Dune and Pomerantz, these powerful hired guns to work for the Manhattan District investigating Donald Trump, they up and resign. They quit. And the word is the reason they quit is because Alvin Bragg, the new district attorney, is kind of questioning whether they can go after Donald Trump criminally for this. Now, keep in mind, they've already indicted the Trump organization. They've already indicted the chief executive officer, Alan Weisselberg. The CEO of the company has agreed to testify against the company, Weisselberg and Donald Trump. But now Alan Bragg, for some reason, is saying, well, I don't know if we have a case to prosecute Donald Trump. Which sounds fucked up. Because we know Donald Trump has his hands on everything in all of his companies. There is evidence, there's plenty of evidence, because we know Letitia James has it, and we know she's working with the Manhattan District. So what's up with this? I mean, the immediate thought is we've got this new guy in here, and then all of a sudden, well, we don't know if we have an investigation, or we don't know we if we can uh, uh, indict Donald Trump. Now, to me, it sounds like uh, he's a coward, or he got paid off. Now, that might be a simple explanation. I don't know Alvin Bragg, and I don't know the circumstances. But what else could it be? You've already indicted his entire organization and his CFO. Donald Trump has his hands on everything. Why would he not be a likely prospect for an indictment? This is going to cause an uproar. People are going to be all over Alan Bragg. And you have to understand, Alan Bragg is an elected official. So he may be quickly known as one-term Alan Bragg because the people of New York are not fans of Donald Trump. They are more liberal than anything. And Alan Bragg is going to take some heat, especially when two powerful lawyers decide, yeah, we don't want to work with you anymore because you're going in the wrong way. Something's fucked up here. Something's fishy. I don't know if Alan Bragg understood what he got into. He got into a high-profile case. And if he didn't see it through, he was going to have some serious fucking problems. And I think Alvin Bragg is in for some problems. Again, we don't know the whole story, and hopefully in the next day or two we'll find out more of what's going on. And hopefully it's not as bad as it sounds, but it sounds pretty fucking bad. We'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Then I wanted to talk about one other story. This crops up every so often over the past two years. It never gets enough attention, and nobody really does anything about it. But I happen to think this is a very serious problem, a very serious problem. Jenny Thomas is the wife of Supreme Court Justice um, Clarence Thomas. Now, people will refer to her as an uh, insurrectionist. They will refer to her as uh, a crazy bitch. They will refer to her as a religious zealot. And by calling her any one of these things is an understatement. She is a fucking problem. You see, she has close ties to those uh, insurrectionists that attacked the U.S. Capitol. Yeah, she was up in there with them. She was a leader amongst them. She also has close ties to those attempting to overturn the 2020 elections. You know, the people that uh, were 
bringing the fake electors and all those sorts of things. Yeah, she was up in the middle of that shit, too. We're hearing from former Trump advisors that they were very confused and upset about her because she'd always come into the White House and have these meetings, but they never understood what kind of standing she had. All she really was was a, uh, was a uh, wife of a Supreme Court justice. But she'd get in there, talk crazy stuff, start out with a prayer. Like I said, she's kind of a religious zealot, and most religious zealots are quite the opposite of anything that is known to be Christian. But that's who she was. She'd talk about election fraud. She'd talk about insurrection. One of the uh, advisors to Donald Trump said, whenever I met with her, it was the craziest meeting I could ever fucking possibly be in. This advisor also said at some points, Donald Trump himself tried to rein him in. How bad does it have to be where Donald Trump says, oh, that's a little far. Bring it down a notch. That's how crazy she was during the Trump administration. But the real problem I have here is that Ginny Thomas and Clarence Thomas, the Supreme Court Justice, have been married for like 30 years, maybe more than that. And if you've got a woman that's that crazy and she's married to a man, lives with a man every day, there has to be some crossover there. There has to be some agreement. So clearly, not only is Clarence Thomas exposed to this crazy ideology, but probably carries some of it himself. And that's a problem for somebody who's on the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is supposed to be the highest court in the land, above it all. But we've got some freaky insurrectionists, some freaky uh, anti-democratic person sitting on the Supreme Court. You'll remember that Clarence Thomas had trouble when he was coming in because he'd been accused of sexual harassment by Anita Hill. He had trouble getting in in the first place. And he's always kind of sided with the hardcore conservatives, but for years he never really mattered because there was an even split of the Democrats and the liberals had the uh, power. But now that there's such a severe split in the Supreme Court, six to three in terms of conservatives to liberals, he plays a bigger part. He's the longest tenured justice on the court today. So he wields a little bit of power. And if he's a crazy Trumplefuck, if he's an insurrectionist, if he is somebody that wants to undermine democracy, well, that is a fucking serious problem. You know that his wife has some influence over him. I'm pretty strong-willed and strong-minded. I guarantee you my wife has influence over me if I know what's good for me. So if this is happening in our Supreme Court, this is a serious problem. This can't be ignored. This has to be addressed. And people will say we can impeach um, Clarence Thomas from the Supreme Court. And yes, we could do that. But then we're looking at partisanship, and we have to get beyond uh, the slim margins in the House and the Senate. So we have to hope that in 2022 we can... um, get bigger margins so we can take control of some of this shit and not be obstructed by the Republicans at every turn. But we'll have to wait and see if that happens. But what I would suggest is that we put Clarence Thomas on blast. We expose everything that's negative about him. Put him in such a situation where he is um, tainted, where he might not be able to do his job. I mean, let's be honest. He's been making decisions in court cases that are kind of tied to this insurrection and uh, abortion and all of these things. And if he is biased by it, he is making these judgments contrary to what we expect out of the Supreme Court. We, uh, well, I'll put it to you this way. Remember when the National Archives was going to release all the documents to uh, to the House Select Committee. Donald Trump tried to hold it back, went to federal court, lost, went to an appellate court, lost, then went to the Supreme Court, and he lost. But you know the one dissenting vote? <laughs> 
fucking Clarence Thomas. So we know who he is, what he is, and he has no business being on the Supreme Court. I don't know if we can impeach him. I don't think we could right now, given the way the Senate and the House is. But if we get more more, uh, majority in both the House and the Senate, maybe, just maybe. But it's only been attempted twice, and I think they only were successful once, if at all. What we need to do is expose him for who he is and put him in a situation where he's totally uh, neutered in his job and he can't do the job anymore and he ultimately has to resign or retire or whatever the fuck he does. But we've got to apply pressure on to Clarence Thomas. He is tainting the Supreme Court. He's not the only one. We got Kavanaugh. We got Comey. We got all these fucking people. But Clarence Thomas is particularly a problem and his wife proves it every fucking day with her behavior. We can only hope that she is tied in deep enough with the insurrectionist and deep enough with these people trying to overturn the elections that she somehow gets indicted. That is going to be even a bigger problem for Clarence Thomas being on the Supreme Court. It's going to be very interesting. This is something that gets buried amongst all the other crazy shit, and we can't allow that. We've got to address that problem. All right, we're going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. As I say, later today I'm going to do another podcast just to catch up on all that's going on with this Ukraine-Russia thing. But I want to thank you for spending time and listening to me. If you have questions or comments, by all means, send me an email at rationalboomer at gmail.com. Go to anchor.fm. And you can leave a voicemail after you look up Rational Boomer Podcast. So by all means, contact me with your opinions, ideas, questions, comments, whatever. I want to hear those because your input is just as important as my input. So you have a great day and we'll talk to you very soon. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.